I am here. Welcome to Dr. Zoe Today, where the topics are real, raw, and relevant about business, entertainment, and relationships. Warning, do not listen to this show if you are sensitive to controversial issues or easily offended. Dr. Zoe and her guests are not to be held liable for any shock, pissing of the pants, sudden desire of change, or uncontrollable laughter. Now, here's your host, Dr. Zoe. Hey guys, I'm so excited for tonight's show. We have Deke Thomas, son of the legendary basketball player Isaiah Thomas. Zeke is an artist, a DJ. He's also an advocate against sexual violence. He's doing some phenomenal things in bringing awareness to the fact that it's not just women who get raped or deal with sexual abuse. It's men as well. Welcome to the show, Zeke. How you doing? I'm great. I mean, it's a nice day here in New York City, and nice. I'm all right. Yeah, good. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. And before we get started, I want you to go ahead and give out your Instagram or any websites that you want to give out, but definitely give out your IG so people can check you out right now. Yes, uh, my IG and everything generally is Zeke. Z-E-K-E underscore Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S. And honestly, I love to talk to people, love for people to message me in my DMs about anything, but don't be crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But don't be crazy. Hey, that goes for me too. You fucking love No, I'm just kidding. Crazy ass people out there. Like, it's just, I just, I don't know. People are having a hard time these days keeping the cuckoo in the clock. But let's get into your backstory a little bit. So basically, I want to know, what was it like growing up having Isaiah Thomas as your dad? He was kind of in the height of his career when you were born, right? Yeah. I mean, when I was born, my dad would go on to win his uh, back-to-back championships. Um, he was the dominant player, you know, Yeah. Uh, before the before the dream team happened, you know. Michael Jordan didn't have any rings, and my dad had two at the time <laughs> for people to think about. Um, yeah. But it was it was great growing up. You know, I, I never wanted for anything, but my parents kept me extremely balanced. You know, my dad comes from extreme poverty. My mother, very middle class. Um, her My grandfather was actually a Secret Service agent. Um, so definitely – Various different worlds, you know. My dad has your grandfather on your father on your father's side, mother's side, mother's side. Okay, and like what? Like so? Did you have brothers and sisters growing up? I did. I have a younger sister, um, Lauren. She's amazing. Um, But honestly, for me growing up, it was always things that you know you kind of like were expected to do um of being a celebrity son you know you you had to kind of fall in line it was very you know television show s but you didn't realize that until you know now i'm 30 years old (laughs) all my life but it definitely was and i I wouldn't change my father parents for anyone in the world. I think they're the world's greatest parents. Um, but definitely growing up, it was different. And was it like, was it like, did you everybody. feel pressure? Did you feel pressure because you were kind of like under a microscope kind of thing? I believe that I have always felt pressure and will always feel pressure. Um, yeah. And that could be pressure that I put on myself, which right. I generally believe. Um, but, you know, it's, my dad has a legacy and Right. It was one thing for me to think that I could compete with somebody who is the best. You know, when somebody reaches the pinnacle of success, you right. know, that you want to strive to achieve that, but not everybody can. You strive to achieve happiness. But I have definitely always pushed myself to, I got to continue my dad's legacy and continue to be a good person and whatever. And I think that finally I'm in a space where I'm achieving that. That's awesome. That is awesome. So just so people know, because I mean, I don't know who wouldn't know, but your dad, Isaiah Thomas, NBA Hall of Famer, uh, named one of the top 
50 players in the NBA, you know, history of the NBA. So that's like pretty big shoes to fill and what you're talking about as far as pressure goes and stuff like that. But like as a kid, you had an experience and we're going to talk about that as a, in a second. And it just shows that this kind of stuff doesn't discriminate. But what I want to know first is like, so obviously you're, you know, when did you realize that you were gay and did you, like, did you talk to your parents about it or was it something that you always knew? Like, what was that like for you? Well, starting it, you know, my, my parents were always extremely open-minded and raised me to be open-minded. Their actual first friends when they moved actually to Detroit. Um, we're two gay men who I call, you know, my gay uncles. We're not related, but they're my gay uncles. Um, and, but however with me, you know, I didn't, I think, realize that I was gay. I always knew that I was different, that, uh, but different in terms of creatively. I was always you know, very abstract, very into music, very into the arts, um, very into being fluid and ambiguous and always wanting to perform. Not that those are traits of every gay man in the world, right, but right. definitely um, were traits of somebody who is generally different and extroverted. Um, in terms of realizing, you know, what my sexuality was, I didn't believe that I fully grasped the concept until I was in high school. And unfortunately at that point, um, you know, I, I have Midwest values. I was living in Indiana at the time. And things that people don't realize, you know, when you grow up black, you know, you, you get labeled with, you know, a strike against you, so to speak. You know, that's something that you have to fight against and battle against. But also right. when you realize and grow up gay, that's another second strike. Yeah, because right. you generally don't want to be different than the norm. You don't want to be right. different than the norm, even though the best people truly are different than the norm, so to Absolutely. speak. You know, whether... You know, white people can be different too. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's so funny because I'm always like, I'm not white. I'm half freaking half Italian. I'm like, right? I'm like, don't ever label me as a white girl. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, no, totally. And people are, and then all my black friends are like, you white girl. <laughs> you white. Or like then, like my cool friends would be like, you know, you black, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> It's funny, it's funny. But, yeah, so I feel you, you know, I mean, first of all, like, you know, being in the Midwest where it's probably like the Bible Belt kind of bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up, I got my core values in Indiana. Yeah, but did did your mama take you to church and all that? Were you going to church? Well, 100%. I went through all the way. I'm I'm confirmed. I'm a Catholic. Not anymore. But, yeah. you know, I went all the way up the ladder. And I say, ooh, because I, my heart hurts. Because I was raised, I was raised Christian, like Christian schools, Christian camp, Christian. Mm-hmm. Like my mama worked at a at a Baptist Bible college. I mean, it was just, it was strict. So, yeah, I mean, that's tough. And I know, you know, from being a, a counselor and a coach and my PhD in psychology, I counsel people for years now. And it's difficult. A lot of people don't come out because of, the religious, you know, upbringing and background and stuff. So it's a lot. It's a lot on a kid. So what school were you going to? Let's talk about that incident that happened when you were, how old were you when the incident happened in the van? And we're going to talk about that. So I was 12 years old, 12 going on 13. So you're um, like, so you're like sixth grade, Zeke, like around sixth grade? Yeah, or? yeah sixth grade. Uh, Okay, and private school or regular school? Or I what? was in private school, but but okay. my um uh, my basketball team, um AAU basketball for everybody who's not familiar with AAU, it's generally just a travel team um that is ultra competitive. Um, but my travel team consisted of some of you know the best players in Detroit. We were constantly you know state champs every year, and would go down to nationals and place in the top ten. But, yeah. yeah, we were a good team. But, unfortunately, yes, on a trip, um, we were in a van, um, I believe. And this is after back. the game? You're coming back from the game, after yeah, the game. Yeah, we're coming back okay. from the game. Uh, we're coming back from Flint, um, 
back to uh, Detroit proper. So you're 12 years old. You're in this travel van coming back from Flint for a game, and you're with your teammates, of course. And what happened? How did this transpire? So I was definitely, you know, I was was sitting in the car, and it was kind of at the point a dick-showing contest. Uh, okay. It would actually fit under the of to me boys with boys, but yeah. unfortunately my head was then jammed into three boys' three boys um, crashes and forced to give oral sex on them. Okay, so this is this is first of all what I want to say is like this is going to help a lot of people because this stuff does not discriminate. Even in my own family, I had my daughter in a private school and in fifth or sixth grade, I think she was 11 at the time, there was an incident that happened in the bathroom at the private school. Well, she didn't tell me till years later. And I'm thinking to myself, like, damn, I did everything I could as a parent to protect you so this kind of shit wouldn't happen to you. I'm working my ass off making sure you're in private school and it even happened in, like, a private school. So, like, this stuff does not discriminate. Yeah, but and what that, I wanna, that's yeah. what 100% about getting into definitely a, a deeper issue of how sexual assault or just traumas in general, they don't just affect you. They eventually do affect other people around you. I really feel um, actually for my family now processing it, and especially right. my mother, you know, I've gone very public, you know, with my sexual assault, whether talking about right. it on Good Morning America or Catfish, where you saw me first. Yes, um, yes, and <laughs> I think we're getting Neve on the show, which is so cool, but you know what? I did see you. I was like, what was crazy is like we were we're launching season three of this show right now, and I was just like, you know, going around my house. I got two offices in my home, and I'm doing stuff, running around. And in the living room on this big, huge TV is Catfish, and I see your face, and I'm like, who is this guy? You have, first of all, you're absolutely stunningly gorgeous, okay? Oh, thank you. You're beautiful. (laughs) You are a beautiful person. But you know what makes you even more attractive is that you've got that awesome, good vibe energy, so real, and then, bam, you flash that stellar smile, and it's like, it's like, damn. You got that. You got you got that X factor, definitely. You know, which is not a surprise considering you know the cloth that you were cut from. But so yeah, you've been really. I will say I do have good genes, and I thank my parents every day. Yes, good, good. You should, and you better tell your mom. And it's Mother's Day coming up. You better make sure you take care of Mama because you know we have to take like a year out of our life to give life. You know what I'm saying? And it's not easy. True. It's not. And this stuff that is doing, that's a like, fair statement. A yes, year out of our life to give life. That's right. Because you're not pregnant nine months. Everybody says nine months. It's more like ten. And then you know it takes time for your body to get back to normal and all that stuff. And you can't have a drink. You can't do nothing. You know what I mean? You gotta like be healthy for the baby. You can't like mess around with you're pregnant so you know um but you so, what what were you craving my mother told me that she craved oh my god uh, guacamole. guacamole guacamole okay so to be real the ghetto in me was craving some boiled peanuts with <laughs> one of my kids it was rice crispy treats i was making some rice crispy treats in the middle of the night you know i mean just crazy or i was like hey go get me this tell me that but yeah the cravings are real but you know what for real like every time i have my monthly i want some dark chocolate so you know and i'm not talking about you men out there so don't get too excited but you know i want some dark chocolate i love salted dark chocolate every single so cravings are real you know us women we're you know whatever the case may be you know no matter what age we are we're still hormonal so what so let's talk about so back to this incident the reason why I want to put some focus on this is because and I love the vibe the energy the beautifulness of who you are but this stuff this these tragedies this tragic traumatic like you know, it's so traumatic with a T, you know, for kids to go through this stuff. I want to know, what do you think made you a target for these kids? Like, what do you think 
What because you weren't out of the closet, right? You weren't out. Of, you weren't yeah. like, openly. Yeah. I mean, I mean that definitely. You know, that's that's probably actually the first time that I've ever gotten this question. So, I honestly, you know, I would I would have to relate that. You know, I am a easygoing guy. I am right. somebody who, you know, has followed a crowd. Um, when I, you know, people told me I'm a natural born leader, but I'm very much the person who, you know, I more so adapt to situations. I'm very adaptable. If, you know, I I can fit into any group. I always had many groups of friends, still do. But, um, I think this Like, do you feel like it was like a bullying situation? I mean, I do not believe it was. It definitely wasn't a bullying situation. I... I would have to honestly, I'd have to think on that, Doctor Zoe. <laughs> okay, so so Zeke, so you guys are in the van and you're showing, you're like boys will be boys kind of thing. You're all whipping out your your dicks and like who's as biggest and my dick's bigger and that's normal, right? Like that's normal stuff. Yes, and then that's these, normal boys. And stuff. then these guys like take your head and force you to perform oral sex on them. Is this correct? Yes. This is what happens. And that's yes. dr- dramatic, and you're 12 years old, and then you got to see these guys after that. Did you? You didn't tell anybody, right? You didn't tell any adults. I didn't tell anybody. Nobody knew except the boys in the van, but it quickly spread to the rest of the team. Um, however, um, the captain of my basketball team, who actually was present, um, I did not have to perform any deed on him or whatever, um, but he said, you know, it didn't happen. He de- he defended me. He basically defused the situation, and the issue went away. And well, whoever you are, really, young man, thank you very much. You know, I mean, yeah, it did, and yeah. it did really actually go away for me. I mean, I don't know actually how much I was affected in terms of that, but when I was raped for a second time, right, um, when I was twenty. 20- everything every feeling every thought every real trauma that i had suffered in my past right. came rushing back came up okay so let's fast forward so this situation uh where you've been really open about it and you've talked you know on many shows about it um you know the fact that you were on a dating app and the dating app happened to be grinder but nothing against grinder you don't blame the app Right, it's the person. Not at all. There's, yeah, so so you're on Grinder, which is really, you know, so many people listening are on Grinder right now. Very common, no big deal, right? Very commonplace. And you go out on a date, the first date. So tell me about that. So tell me about the first date. So you go out with this guy. Honestly, honestly, so I have been chatting with this guy probably for you know a month, month and a half, maybe. You know, I'm I'm generally, guys, for the record, I'm not somebody you just, you know, get to meet right away. I'm very particular. So I try Thank to you. feel like I do. Good. I try to feel like I do my homework. I Good. I really do. Um, however, with this guy, he was, you know, what they would call discreet. So I didn't get a, a Instagram per se or whatever. But we had been talking for a while. And. One one day, you know, as I said, my my personality is very loose going. I said, you know what? He was messaging me, and I said, I'm at my recording studio right now. Why don't you come by? And the reason I did that was I'm at my recording studio, and there's eight people with me. Right, right. <laughs> I'm like, you know, what, nothing's going to happen. There's eight people right, with me. Right. So he comes in, and we're okay, hanging so let's out. Talk about, let's talk about that. He comes in. This is somebody you're talking to on the app. He hadn't given you any personal information yet, and he comes in. Are you attracted to him? Was there chemistry? So I was attracted to him, but honestly, there definitely wasn't a spark. But okay. I had recently moved to Chicago. I was actually trying to meet people. I was trying to get into click, so to speak. Um so this is because a couple Chicago years to me, ago. Chicago to me is a very clicky city. Okay. So I was so just trying to make like, friends. All right. So just to be clear, this happened like two, three years ago, right? Is that around the right Correct. time frame? Okay. Yes. 
So yeah. he comes into the studio. He's attractive, but there's not really chemistry, no spark. You guys hang out for how long? What was that first encounter like? Oh, we hung out for he was at the studio for at least probably two and a half, three hours. Um, I would say he arrived at nine o'clock and left around midnight. Um, we wrapped the session probably around one a.m. All right, so um, you're trying you're trying to meet people, you're trying to like get in, you know, meet people in Chicago. So then he then what happened? He asked you out. You guys decided to go out on another date. After yeah. That? Um, I said you know it's nice to meet you, and honestly, you know my my cousin was there. You know my cousin who's so close to me, and you know he said, oh this guy's cool. Everybody pretty much vouch for him so yeah why not go on a second date which okay. he asked me out and the second date was i suggested he said he said let's go out in boys town and for those not familiar with boys town boys town is basically where all the gay bars in are in chicago okay um which always has so, the best music by the way and the best djs go ahead <laughs> And you it have actually to be does. DJ too. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean. I grew up like when I was 15. We moved to Tampa. I had a fake ID just so I could go to the gay clubs in Ebor City, and always had the best music so I could dance my ass off. Go ahead. So you guys go to Boys Town, quote unquote, and <laughs> tell me. So paint a picture of the night. Like what's happening? You're having a good so, time. So honestly, diving, I like what's up? Yeah. Um, he came to my place. Um. And we didn't have a drink or anything, but he came to my place basically, and we went straight to um, we Ubered straight to the venue, and we went to this club called Scarlet, um, which I had worked at multiple multiple times, and actually my ex boyfriend was a bartender. Basically, I was going. To you places worked at as a DJ, safe. as a DJ, yeah. like you. Okay, I got you. Okay. I was going. Did I you was go to Scarlet? Where I felt safe. Okay. And so I can get chilling. free things, really. Yeah. <laughs> so you're always in VIP there, which is great. Which yeah. is great. Yeah. yeah. So you're, hang- you're so, hanging out with him. You're basically around family. You feel comfortable at this club. Yeah, I feel comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, he handed me a drink that I had ordered from the bartender who poured it. But, unfortunately, he had slipped something in my drink. And... Pause, 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 because I know you've told this story, but I want, I want you to spill the tea. I want to know the details. So he hands you a drink that was drugged. Like what kind of, so I want to know a little bit, like what kind of shady ass motherfucker does this? And excuse my language, but I would say, I would say actually, unfortunately, unfortunately, Zoe, this isn't the first time, like this is the, Many viewers or listeners definitely, you know, this this happens frequently. I would yeah, say it I know happens it happens in every it bar happens. all the time. But Yeah, but, you know, he knows who you are. Like, who the fuck has the balls to do that when he knows who you are? But what I'm trying to do is let's paint the picture of him. Like, okay, so you're about 27 at the time. How old is he? Um... He was a few years older than me. He's about thirty-one. Okay, is he is he hot? Is he good looking? Is he like is he like desirable? On a scale I tell you what, he's not as he's not as hot as the guy I'm talking to right now. Well, okay, <laughs> well of course you go with your best self. I mean, I'm just trying to. I want you to do like a character profile of this okay. guy. So unfortunately, so, the character the character profile is really, I believe, what got me fucked and not being able to charges because he pretty much looked like a generic white male he had okay. brown hair he had blue eyes he had so leave it to face. the white guy leave it to the white guy i'm not no offense i'm just joking but seriously <laughs> like you know you look at the school shooters and stuff it's all little white boys but anyway so so he so he drugs you he looks like a generic typical white guy he and but on a scale from one to ten is he hot or not is he is he like a five is he like a seven six. All right, now, all right, so we got an idea what, like, this guy looks like and, you know, what, you know, so go on. So he hands you this drink, you drink the drink, after you drink the drink. Yeah, you know. drink, I drink the drink. Um, I only had two drinks at the bar, so. And you're lit. We danced, we danced a bit, 
Yeah, I'm not a lightweight at all. <laughs> we danced a bit, and then I remember us getting into an Uber, and I don't remember anything of that, anything after that. You don't remember anything. You blacked out. I woke up um, bleeding from my asshole in my own bed. Okay. So you woke up bleeding from your asshole in your own bed, and what are you feeling? Like, what, like, what? I was still there, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, to, to, to use the Bill Cosby moment, he honestly, he, he looked at me and he said, I had a great time. Um, would love to see you again. Come on, you um, gotta throw Bill Cosby in there. Now all I'm thinking is like, where's the pudding? Like, come on, don't, don't do that. This is serious. All right, so. Oh God, right, it's so, so bad that our it's so bad that our heroes were horrible people. Huh? I know, I know. I love him. I can't watch any of that stuff because I just want to keep my childhood memories the way they were with him and Camille. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so yeah. what? So tell me, like, what? Um, for real, like he's there, you're bleeding from your asshole. So obviously rough, you could tell that like something. Yeah. And my, my dog, my dog actually was on the patio. Um, I had a balcony, um, on my apartment and I guess he had locked my dog outside and my dog was barking and I literally, I just didn't feel Right. I was like, this I was very disoriented. I felt uncomfortable. And he left immediately, you know, after saying you those things. Up? It wasn't like he lingled. Um, yeah, it was just like I, I, I woke up. So when you woke up, you're bleeding. Your dog's walked out on the patio barking. What did he say before he left? He said, you know, I had a great time. I'd love to see you again. Goodbye. And you were it was, it was very, and after and I, he after he left, you felt like you know you were violated. One hundred percent. I my heart pretty much had dropped, and I was just speechless. I felt alone. Yeah. Would be would be the like the most lonely feeling that you could feel because. You know, I hadn't even let my dog back in yet. I was just sitting in the bed and in shock. I was just didn't. I was just numb. Yeah, you're and numb. I'm like, you're in shock. I'm yeah. like, generally, you know, I'm a top for the record. You know, I have been. I've had had sex in my ass before, but it's not really my my thing. So my yeah. first thought was, this wouldn't even be a thing that I would have done. Right. Sober. So. Right. Okay, I know I didn't consent to that. Second thing was, I don't even really know how to clean my ass properly. So I definitely wouldn't have consented to that either. Like, it, it was just like, yeah. this so is not something you, that I would so, have done. So, Zeke, what That's did you do? when my head you? immediately went to assault. And I literally, I, I thought to myself, after I let my dog in now, I thought to myself, what do I do? Yeah. I thought, do I call the police? And then that feeling was, I don't even know what happened. I don't even know. Right. It was just so much fear. Right. And because I was like, and now yeah. when I look back, I'm like, why was I the one who was afraid? Right. And that's why we're talking about this. That's why, you know, it's so important what you're doing right now with this, you know, adversity that happened to you, you know, because this is why we're talking about it, because people don't talk about it, even, you know, as a child, you know, that went through molestation and then years later told my mother and my mother was like in denial about it after I even mustered up the courage to tell her years later you know, this is why we've got to talk about this kind of stuff because, you know, why are the victims the one who feel shamed, who feel like they're in the wrong and, um, you know, feel like they can't talk to anybody about it? So did you tell anyone? Did you tell your cousin that was with you that met him? You know, did you tell no, anybody? Okay. I didn't tell anybody um, for months later. Um, I actually I started doing hard drugs. Um I started yeah. smoking 
you know, crystal meth. I um, was doing, you know, GHB, ketamine, um, pretty much anything I can get my hands on outside of heroin. Um, Why? You feel like it was just to numb the pain, like, because you didn't know how to deal with it? Well, let me ask you this first, Zeke. Did you do any of those kind of hard drugs before this happened? No. I mean, I had tried them, yes, but I, it wasn't a consistent thing. I'm not going to say okay, that I never so did you drugs start, so you do. So you start doing, you start partying a little harder, and do you feel like Not a little. Not a little harder. Okay. okay. <laughs> harder. <laughs> All right. so it, was, it wasn't like from 30 to 45. It was like from 30 to speeding. Okay, got you, got you, got you. All got right, it? So, got it. Crystal clear. Crystal. We won't. All right, so, so why? Do you feel like that was your escape? That was your way of at first I pain? No, at first I thought, you know, it was the, the generic thing, and I, and I do think this is very generic because – I do believe that any addict or anybody who abuses drugs knows why they are abusing drugs. I don't right. believe it's just we're going to numb the pain. Okay, what's yeah. the pain? What's that? And right. generally, to be quite honest, I feel that I was doing it because I was around a people who were hurt, who were also dealing with things. So right. I had a community in sense, which is why – uh, even standing here today, you know, not doing hard drugs and all that stuff. Right, right. It was very hard to let go of that community. Of um, course. Because I felt like that community was there for me. The sense when I was yeah. at my lowest. Okay, so the community was there for you, but they were all fucked up too. And you're saying that they were all fucked up because the law of association is so important. And that's a whole other thing with, you know, kids and people listening right now. Like the law of association and that old adage, like you want to know, you know, what you're going to end up like. Look at your five top people that you hang out with. Who's in your inner circle? The law of association is real. So even though they were supportive of you and they were there for you they also as you just stated were dealing with their own shit so they were dealing with their own shit and they weren't allowing they they weren't growing they had they had just basically given up and were going in a loop okay so how did you draw the line in the sand you know um and separate yourself from that group of friends and get yourself clean like how how long were you doing the hard drugs a year and a half Okay, so a year and a half. I how, mean, how were your parents dealing with this? Like, did they know something was wrong? Yes, like, my my. Fortunately, I guess my my dad. You know, again, he grew up in extreme poverty, and right. unfortunately, he lost a lot of his brothers to drugs, um, heroin mostly. Um, he's well familiar with what a person looks like high, right, and I right. can remember him even saying to me. Your mother might not know, but I know, and right. this can't happen in my house. Right. So you got to figure it out. Got you. And at the time, even that, it was like, what the fuck? Like, why aren't you? I really like Doctor Soy. I just wanted a hug. I just yeah. wanted like nurture. I wanted that, but I wasn't getting that. Maybe I wasn't getting that in the way I wanted it, in the whatever. Like, I wanted to be babied. I did. Okay, but, but your mother, but wait, your mother probably would have babied you, but she didn't even know, okay? And your father, he's the man, so a father's position is to be tough love, so he's not mm-hmm. going to nurture you. And he's going to be like, look, you need to stop this shit right now. So, you know, you wanted a hug, you wanted to be nurtured, but nobody knew because you weren't Correct. telling anyone, and nobody that's knew why what was really when my, happening. And that's why when my friends, even today, they say, you know, we, we knew, but we knew something was wrong, but we didn't know what right. was wrong. Right. And okay. My and as you say, you know, the law of attraction, you know, the circle of friends, you know, my friends, you know, they have high power jobs, they're doing great things, they're whatever, and they even said to me, it's like, we knew you were fucked up, but we were still having to do our shit. We had lives. We had this. So it right. was the old motto of if you can't pull somebody up to save them, they're going to pull you in the ocean and drown you. Right, right. 
Right. Okay. So let me ask you this. So then where do you turn the corner? Like what happened? Who did you tell? How did you get your life back together? You know, at the very beginning of my drug spiral, um, I still consider him one of my best friends, even though we don't hang out anymore. You know, generally we just talk and, you know, whatever. But, you know, he said to me, he said, there will come a time when we can't be friends anymore. Yeah. And he said that to me. And at the very beginning, I didn't understand what he meant. And now I 100% do. And when I turned the corner, it was just me actually saying to myself, I'm in a loop. Yeah. I haven't evolved. I haven't done anything. My, I have a career, but I'm just maintaining. Like, so when you I'm say not comfortable I'm a, with this level. Okay, so when you say I'm in a loop, basically you're stuck in a cycle. You were stuck Correct. in a cycle. Same thing. I was. It, it day, was. It was doing day. drugs. So, do a bullshit DJ, DJ gig. Go home. Yeah. Okay. Do drugs. Do like it wasn't. You know, speak at Teen Vogue. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't so, things that you can do to actually support survivors. I was still a victim. Right. Right. And there, and you could be a victim or a victor, or you could be pathetic, or you could be powerful. So when did you make the decision to be to change it? Like again, I'm gonna keep presenting this question. Like, what was the epiphany? What was the light bulb moment? What was the like shit? I gotta get my act together. It was your friend saying that to you that we're not gonna be able to be friends. There's no, it wasn't even my we- friend saying it to me because they never said it to me. But it actually was, you know, me looking at you know, their social media or even, you know, their lives and saying, look at what I've missed. It wasn't look what I'm missing because when I was missing it, I didn't give a fuck. But when I looked back and I said, look what I've missed, I missed three, four of my very good friends' weddings. I missed, you know, Thanksgiving. I missed, like, it, it, it was important things of, like, because you were Wait. just in an oblivion because you were just using and you were in oblivion. So for people yeah. listening that are right now using in this kind of spiral with whatever drugs they're doing, what would you like, what would you say to them? Like, what was like, what did you do? What action did you take to, to honestly, to honestly, the thing I would say to them is, and I'm, I'm actually incredibly lucky and thankful because I didn't become to me an addict. An addict to me is somebody who needs that substance and can't pull away. Uh, like I would, yeah. I would go days, I would whatever. And I am incredibly blessed because especially, you know, doing crystal meth, you know, it's, it's a highly addictive substance and I'm very, very lucky. So to me, addiction is real and to actual addicts, I would say, you know, you're going to have to go through, you know, a uh, a program, a detox, right. or whatever. Right. But after you get through that, it's not the end because now you're soberly able to concentrate on the issue that made you an addict. Right. So what was the journey for you? Did you go to rehab? Did you just like come clean with your parents? I did. About I did not. I did not go to rehab. Um, you know, I did have a therapist, but I wasn't consistent. Um, I did have, you know, a personality assessment, which actually provided a lot of good information for me to digest. But right. generally, when I say I did it on my own, I didn't do it on my own. There definitely were multiple people who influenced me. But no, I did not go to, you know, a treatment facility or this or that. I okay. pretty much just Made started seeing things of, yeah. why do I want to live like this? Like, Okay, yeah, people do drugs and have fun and party, but then they also have a life. They go to work. They have a family. They go right. see their family. They... <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so now fast forward. So now you've been clean and not sober, but you've got it under control. I know you're still DJing. You're still going out there. You're still doing events. You're still having fun, but you've got it under control. You're not using, you know, these hard drugs or anything like that. Yeah, I'd more just say I'm not I'm not abusing. 
You know, I'm okay, not abusing. Okay, perfect. You know, perfect. of course, so, anything anything can happen at any time. But again, I'm not abusing. I'm not. You're in a much. To, you're in a better place. You're in honestly. a better place. And so now, fast forward. Now, like, what, like, what prompted you? And when did you break the news to your parents about these assaults? So I actually broke the news to my parents. So after the assault, um, which happened in February, I broke the news to my parents about um, four or five months later. Um, it was actually like, it was May. It was May. Um, okay. Because it was like uh, a couple weeks before my birthday. And I actually broke the news to them high on mushrooms. <laughs> screaming in the back, screaming in the back of a cab. Um, I don't mean to laugh, but happened. I'm just like, so it's no, like no, it's, it's, it's it is psychedelic. So you're on mushrooms and you're tripping balls, and then you're like, yep. and that brought you to the point where you're like telling your parents, like, this happened to me, and you tell them about the date rape that happened from the grinder incident, but you also at that point tell them about what happened to you when you were 12 years old as well. Yes, and excuse me. I had disclosed to my mother that the 12 years old incident had happened. I had disclosed that in high school. Um, As I said to um, you earlier, you know, it it really wasn't affecting me. Um, And I didn't know how much it was until I guess it was too late because it wasn't something that, you know, I was, I did have a therapist in, in high school, you know, I, I have a problem with actual moving. You know, I've, I've moved actually 18 times in my life. I've had 18 different places that I've lived, which wow. is insanity. And I'm not just talking about, you know, my parents' home, which like, you know, apartments and moving cities and whatever that I've made the decision to do. However, right. I've never really felt that I had a home. Right. Um, so that really was what I was really digesting and working on in therapy was trying to, you know, build that home. But right. I did disclose to my, my mother and it was it wasn't new information, but it became new pain or okay. pain that was never. That you buried in your subconscious. Or, yeah. That's what happens uh-huh. when you're a kid and you go through traumatic experiences, you bury it. And then this stuff manifests later when it's never dealt with and that's completely and absolutely normal. I see it with my clients all the time. Another thing that's really interesting is like, you know, I'm a confidant to multi-platinum artists, to 27 NFL players, to, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs, to billionaires. And a lot of men, when they were children, as I'm counseling them, and I advise them on everything from their relationship to their finances, but as I'm counseling them, their backstory, so many men, affluent men, were molested, raped, uh, you know, had uh, stuff happen to them when they were a kid by their older brothers, by an uncle, by somebody close to the family. Um, you know, even, you know, on this show, we've had people come out and talk about situations that happened um, when they were kids, like famous people. But it's, But what's insane is that a lot of times this stuff we don't realize, we don't tell anybody, and we leave it in our subconscious, we think that it's something dirty, we go on with our lives, and we're fine, we're survivors, and we go on, but then it manifests later in life, and we're wondering, like, wait a second, why am I fucked up right now, and we realize that it's that, that back story, it's that old stuff that we buried in our subconscious, because kids are so adaptable, that we just move on, and then, it's, of course, like, moving around and being you know, moving to 18 different places as well, like that's going to add to it as well. So everybody has, you know, their reasons. But the important thing is that kids feel like they can start to talk about this stuff, that it's not dirty little secret stuff, because as adults, we're seeing how it affects us as adults, right? So it's really important that as adults, we start to we start to make a place where kids can feel comfortable. Like this is not, 
and it doesn't discriminate. It happens everywhere, every different, you know, income bracket, every different uh, color, creed, race, culture. It doesn't matter. This doesn't discriminate. This is everybody goes through this. Even, you know, look at you. Like, you grew up, you know, you're, uh, look whose son you are, and this happened to you. So it's important, and I love what you're doing. So let's talk about that. Like, let's talk about what you're doing right now as an advocate for this stuff. So what's going on with your career, your life? What's going on with you right now? So I actually just got um, done uh, pretty much speaking at the majority of the larger campuses. I hope I hit the smaller campuses, but the larger campuses in the uh, SUNY um uh, university uh, realm, basically, they're state colleges of New York. Um, so they are recognized like University of Buffalo, University of Albany, um, Oneonta, uh schools like that. I pretty much gave, you know, speeches and talked to a lot of students um, across the state of New York uh, about sexual assault, about trauma awareness. Um, I have spoken at other universities as well, you know, and Louisiana, Alabama. I did like a whole Southern thing and it was yeah. amazing to me because I'm like, I'm black and gay and speaking about male rape and I'm in the South. Wow. <laughs> wow. 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 That's awesome though. That's amazing. That is good. And so what, and you're also an ambassador for what organization you're, I know I've I'm an ambassador. Yeah. I'm, I'm the first male or was the first male ambassador for the national Sexual Violence Resource Center, which is the largest and really only uh, violence center in uh, the United States. It's in Pennsylvania, and they have all the information, and they're actually one of the main organizations that was involved actually in the Cosby and the Weinstein cases. Um, wow. Just to you know, go back to uh, Cosby reference, but I am truly, you know, I, I feel that, you know, I'm... Just eat this push I'm, pop I, and everything's going to be all right. I'm a DJ. I'm a DJ and a producer at heart. I do love, you know... Yeah, what's going on? Stuff. What's going on with that? What's going on with, like, DJing and, and, um, and you're also an artist, right? So, like, what... So, what's going on with that in your, in your career am, right I now? I am. I'm going in the studio, actually, next week. Um, to start recording new music. Um, I had taken a break from music. I was, you know, before I was, or while I was DJing, you know, as as a kid, you know, I was, you know, producing all the time and writing and doing uh, great songs and, you know, doing songs that actually paid my bills. But um, I took a break from it to concentrate on DJing and really actually concentrate. I was working for a campaign company. I went corporate for a minute. But I really truly love DJing. It's like my 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 true love. But yeah. these these hosting gigs and you know appear, doing catfish and you know I'm up for some other TV shows. So everybody, please keep their fingers crossed for me. Um, but it's cool to honestly be open and honest about who I am and yeah. get the platforms to speak about sexual violence, speak about mental health. We are. Somebody asked me the other week, you know, a lot of people that you know, Zeke, are, are in the bubble. Like, we're all talking about sexual assault. We're talking about awareness, we're talking about mental health. How do I bring other people into the tent? And I'm like, it's just one by one. The world right. has changed immensely over yeah. time. Yes, yeah. we still have slavery and sexual violence and you know, the Mueller report, we have a lot of things going wrong still. And we have fucking Trump in office, which is making all yeah. kinds of crazy shit go down. As far as, like, but, you you know yeah. I have a very diversified family, and, like, I'm all about one love and all this stuff my whole life. I launched my company in 1990, motherfucking eight, 1998, almost as old as you are. I launched this company and we're all about like, it's all like, so everything is Gucci and beautiful and, you know, everybody is just united in it. And then 
like, you know, and my company even worked with Trump back in 2009. And I was like, yeah, he's all right. I don't see nothing. And then all this stuff comes out and I'm like, ooh, let's get rid of those press releases. <laughs> like, but it's just like, even just where we're at in our society as a nation, we have become so much more divided and it's so sad. So, you know, and everybody does have a backstory. Everybody does is dealing with some kind of pain and hurt. But what's awesome is when you can be true to who you have become, be true to who you are. And I give you mad props, man. I'm so proud of you. Like, I think what you're doing is amazing. And you know what? Fuck what anybody else thinks. You keep going and you keep doing this. And the fact that you got yourself, you know, you got yourself in a better place, mentally, emotionally, you know, not, you know, abusing, like that speaks volumes about your character. And I just think that it's amazing. So uh, what we're going to do, Zeke, is we're going to take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about, we're going to do the listeners, the listeners questions for you real quick. Okay. All right. All right. Hang on. Dr. Zoe has been a successful entrepreneur, philanthropist, and the confidential coach to celebrities, leaders in business, religion, and sports for over a decade. Take advantage and submit your questions on love, sex, and relationships via the Dr. Zoe Today app, drzoetoday.com, or simply hashtag AskDrZoe on Twitter. Be sure to tune in every week to hear your questions answered by Dr. Zoe and her guests. Your connection for pop sexuality. Okay, okay, so what we have, and again, everybody, we are talking to Zeke Thomas tonight, and I'm going to take some of your questions. So we have a question from Tamara, and it says, was there a lot of pressure on you growing up to be a great basketball player as the son of Isaiah Thomas? So I will say, you know, there was the, – I, I still get asked this stupid-ass question. <laughs> which is the question no that I – No, 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 no. Tamara, no, no, I'm not asking – I'm not saying about Tamara, but I'm going to give you an example of this question that I'm asked to this day that will give reference. Yes. Okay. Um, so since I was four years old, I've been asked. Yeah. Are you – are you as good a basketball player as your dad? <laughs> I got asked this like two weeks ago, and I'm like, wouldn't I be in the league and you know me and I have a $17 million contract oh, and not oh. worry about anything in life? <laughs> okay, okay, on that, on that. Wait, wait, wait. I have a question I didn't ask you. What is it weird? Okay, so thank God this guy, he lived up to the name. But, dude, like, I just realized, like, you're 30 and you shared your age. I already knew your age because you told me when we talked before. <laughs> but, like, you're 30. And Isaiah Thomas, the other, other Isaiah Thomas, he's, like, 30-ish too, right? So yeah. was, it, was it weird? One of the things I wanted to ask you was, was it weird growing up with somebody around your age that had your daddy's name and everybody was wondering if that's your daddy's son too. Like, it was, was so it was weird. And we've all weird, laughed right? about it because yeah. Isaiah will get, Isaiah will text me and be like, uh, one of your friends just came up to me and said, I know you who's not my brother, but called me your brother. And then I'll <laughs> message him and do the same thing. It's, it's funny. That's but, great. That's you know, I, 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 I kind of think it's awesome because Isaiah yeah. actually got his name because his dad lost a bet. My, yeah. The bet was his dad was a big Lakers fan, and his friend was a Pistons fan. And the bet was whoever wins the series, the firstborn has to be named after, you know, the winning team. Yeah. And so my dad won, and – there we have Isaiah but, Thomas. But what's I weird think is that, a very what's crazy is that you guys are around the same age. Yeah. You're right but around don't, the same don't, age. Don't you start a controversy. My dad is my dad and his dad is his dad. Yes, I get it. I get it. I'm just I'm not trying to start no controversy. I'm just saying it would be weird to me if like if like somebody was named after, you know, my mom and she's the same age as me and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, and everybody thinks that that's, you know, everybody I mean, do you know how many people on this planet have googled is Isaiah Thomas Isaiah Thomas's son? 
fun. Like a lot yeah. of people, they're both basketball players with the same name. But what's funny is even my people messed up your daddy's name and put an extra A in there because your dad is like, he's one A. He, does, he only has one A, right? That's correct, right? Yeah. The, the spelling is a little different. Okay, let's go on. Let's go on. Let's go on. Next listener's question. Do you feel, okay, this is Mikey wrote in and said, do you feel like you're not taken seriously as an activist for sexual assault because you're a man? Could you repeat the question? I'm sorry. Do you feel like you're not taken as seriously as an activist for sexual assault because you're a man? Yes, I do. Um, And the reason why is, you know, I am, I'm critical of the Me Too movement. And a lot of people have said to me why and been in arms about it. And I say, I came with my story a year before the Me Too movement became a pop phenomenon. Right. And, you know, it's not that I want to be recognized in Time Magazine or anything, but those male stories were were scrubbed. They were irrelevant. They were whatever. But the problem with the Me Too movement as it continues is, okay, yes, you've now shared your story. Now what are you going to do? Right. And that's what I feel is missing. People feel like, okay, I talked about it. Now I'm done. No, that's the first step. You got a lot of work to do. Yeah. A lot of healing to do. And that's the problem to me with the false hope that the Me Too movement has done. The Me Too movement sparked a fire and it really, um, truly to me, energized a women's movement that really the women's movement now doesn't have really anything to do with sexual assault or sexual violence. Yeah. It's just women are standing up and speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking as a woman that has been raped. And when all of that came out and like, I see all of my associates, friends, clients, hashtagging me too, me too, me too. There's something about it that just felt like people um, jumping on a bandwagon. And I chose not, I was approached many times to be a part of different things to do with the me too movement. And I chose that not to, because I didn't feel like I want my story when I'm very open and I bring it out, which I haven't completely, to be more effective. And right now, just using those adversities to make a difference in other people's lives, for me personally, is more important than just raising my hand and saying, you know, it's powerful, don't get me wrong, but just the way, the vibe of it, it's kind of like all the bitches going to Washington and wearing vaginas on their hat. That I, You know, but like they had all these hats on a couple of years ago with vaginas. Do you remember that? They marched yes, with yes. vaginas. It's like, bro, like what? Like, okay. Like it just to me, it's like, I don't know. There's, there's a balance there that needs to be had, but that's a whole other show. 100%. All right. and, uh, let's, yeah. go, let's go to the next question before I You sure started. you don't want to get another hour in? Okay. Well, wait, wait, we got two more questions I want to get to, and then we're going to, and then we're going to wrap it up. Okay. I, this one, I like this question. It's anonymous, but I think it's important we get to it. I'm a gay 32-year-old man that has not come out to my family. They still believe my partner is only my best friend. This is very common. I feel like I'm living a double life, but my family is religious, so I'm afraid to tell them I'm gay. What would be your advice, Dr. Zoe and Zeke? So you go ahead. So, So my advice to you, and this is not a joke, is that some member of your family does not think that your partner is your friend. Um, There's definitely either suspicions or they just outright (laughs) know and don't care. Um, But there definitely are some of your family members who also know who are in extreme denial. And there are some members of your family who are just oblivious. And it's the ones to me who are in extreme denial who you need to be weary of and whatever right. the the people who are just oblivious they're oblivious and the people who know obviously they're going to support you um but when you're in extreme denial about something that to me is hate now 
I will say this. I went to Indiana University, and I said I grew up in Indiana and grew up around a lot of, you know, other white males who became some of my best friends. My roommate in college, um, we had met in high school, but my roommate in college, he made no bones about it that he was homophobic. But I hadn't come out Damn. yet. And then wow. when I did come out, yeah, he, he he didn't embrace me, but he began to see my views aren't right. Yeah, you know, it, my views aren't right. My views are skewed. You know, I even had you know my friend Kyle, um, one of my good friends, who he's one of the weddings who I missed, unfortunately, but sorry, he, Kyle. He, <laughs> he literally told me, he literally told me, bro, you're the first black person and the first gay person who I am a friend with. Damn. Yeah. I have to remember sometimes that people don't know these experiences. They see them on television. They read about them, but they don't actually know somebody in the physical. So everybody is entitled to their opinion and their views. Unfortunately, right. good yeah. or bad. So, yes, you're going to have to come to a point where you, if you decide, will have to disclose. Some will accept you. Some won't. But I guarantee you, you will feel better about being your authentic self around your family or around anybody. Yes, I agree with you 100%. And that's exactly what my advice would be, is that you're never going to truly be happy or experience your life fulfillment the way that you were created to until you come into the full essence of who you are. And the only way to do that is being true to who you are and being honest about who you are. Um, And that's most important. Even if there's family members that disown you, like you'll get through that pain, but the pain of not being authentically yourself is going to be more painful. So awesome. I'm so excited that you came on the show. We're going to wrap it up. Um, You know, tell everybody once again, where to find you on Instagram, Zeke. Again, my name is Zeke Thomas. Uh, please find me at Z-E-K-E underscore Thomas, um, Z-E-K-E underscore T-H-O-M-A-S. And please okay. DM me again. Yes, and for everybody listening, like, seriously, get Zeke on your show. Get Zeke, you know, out there. Like, he's amazing, good energy, good vibes, good dude. Um, so, listen, I want to have you back on. Let's do, like, a follow-up in, like, six months or something like that. And definitely, like, I wish you the best in all of your endeavors. Thank you so much again for being on the show, Zeke. I really appreciate it. And thank you for what you're doing in bringing, you know, and all this advocacy and everything that you're doing is so important. So thank you for using your life as a platform for this as well. So to all my listeners, tune in next time for real world relevant information about business, entertainment, and relationships. Excited.